what would you do if you are presented with the opportunity to take over a business with $20 million worth of debt? Most of us would pass on the offer, but today's guest felt a call to step in and help. Shedi Hebeish was working as a pastor when his father passed away suddenly from a heart attack, leaving behind the family business he ran with his brothers. Sheldy felt the Holy Spirit lead him to take on his father's responsibilities and to try to save the company. Over the next 20 years, he and the others in his family saw God work in miraculous ways to reduce the debt and grow the business. You can find more about Hebeish Group on our YouTube channel. But for now, we invite you to listen in as Shady tells an incredible story of provision, faithfulness, and miracles. This is the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Africa podcast. Let's listen in. Let me show you Africa as an entrepreneur. Africa is a fundamental part of the global economy. There are people building businesses in Africa, continental businesses that are huge businesses. So it's a vibrant, young market with lots of energy, talent, and skills. What can I do? What role can I play? What is my purpose? When we put our faith and our trust in God, He's the master strategist and always directs our path. God went after the very thing that could become a mammon stronghold in my life. He said He wants that. And every time it gets too difficult, I basically say, you are the one, this is your business, God. You will get the glory. Uh, there's a way the world does business and there's a way we do business. So come, come see that Africa. The size of our continent, along with our diverse cultures, provide us with rich insights into God and his creativity. We are excited to highlight the many influential voices of innovators and entrepreneurs across Africa. We will also feature some entrepreneurs from around the world who we think have important things to say, no matter where we call home. These are the stories of how businesses flourish and how his call to create continues to this day. Come for the content. Stay for the community. Welcome to Faith Driven Entrepreneur. All right. Well, good day to everyone listening. Uh, my name's Efosa Ojomo. I am one of the co-hosts here for the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Africa podcast. And today I am joined by the one and only Chini Ugoji. Chini? Hey, Efosa, that's a very generous introduction. It's great to be here. Thanks. Oh, well, it's great, great, great to be here with you. We're going to be talking to Shady Habash in, in this episode, and I can't wait to sort of just dive deep into his story and how the Lord is using him in the workplace. So let's actually just dive right in. Well, first of all, Shady, great to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. It's a pleasure and honor. Well, Shady, um, I know, you know, our team has produced a wonderful, wonderful video of your company. Uh, listeners, you can go to our YouTube channel and check it out. Trust me, you will be blessed by it. I know I was when I watched it. And so you've talked to us about your story before, but why don't you maybe just give us a quick minute long introduction to your business? We produce high density polyethylene. It's a family business. 
It started in the mid-70s. We have changed over the years our activities, what we do. There is a lot of innovation. In the last 20 years, we've been producing high-density polyethylene pipes and fittings for portable water, producing cable conduits for polyethylene, producing garden hoses, PVC garden hoses, also manholes. For um, These are things that has to do with construction, mainly. And it's the family business started with my grandpa and his five sons. And we are the third generation now. Wow. Okay. Awesome. So, so, I mean, let me, before I get into detail, so someone might hear that and just say, well, what, what are you, your pipes and, and so, can you maybe just tell us a couple of places around the world where some of your products are right now that we may not know? Our products are on the high rises in the new Alameen and in the high rises in the new capital, uh, Cairo capital. Uh, also, like the uh, presidential area, the headquarters of the um, ministerial area in the Cairo capital. Yeah. Wow. Incredible. Incredible. Um, let's dive into how you even came to be where you are. I mean, I think most of our guests on the show, like they pursue entrepreneurship, right? They see a problem in the world and they want to go like try to fix it. You came into entrepreneurship a little bit differently. You were thrown into it as, as unexpected. You were working in ministry, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, you were a minister, not for the government, but for uh, for God's government, so to speak. I mean, can you maybe just share with us some of the events that led you to joining your family's business? I graduated from college, like a major of economics and business administration, although that was not on my heart to do. But mm-hmm. like uh, the norm for the family and, and in Egypt is to have a high degree in engineer and some kind of a high degree, in, not in ministry. After I finished, I went into an in-ministry training program in the U.S. for one year. I came back, worked with my dad for six months, and then I, uh, I had to ask him to allow me and set me free to um, pursue my dream for a full-time ministry. Uh, it was a surprise that he agreed. I mean, it took years of prayer. I already had this on my heart since 95. I graduated the uh, class of 2000. I went for one year, came back 2001, worked with him for six months. I've been praying since like 95. And I had to sit down with him and talk it out mid-2001, six years of prayer. And he agreed instantly and he was very happy. And that was something very strange. I worked as a pastoral role with youth for three years. And then mid-2004, my dad had a heart attack. And in less than 30 minutes, he passed away. And at that point, um, it's a family business, as I said. I knew that there were some troubles at work with my dad and his brothers. But now I was exposed. They showed me what we had. And it was a debt with equivalence of uh, $20 million. And I had to go back to business because it was a duty to stand together because it was an impossible debt to pay back. And I had an obligation to go back and to work and try to see what we will do with this thing. Wow. Wow, Shady. I mean, that's 
totally amazing. You know, I would like you to talk to us a little bit more about how that debt weighed on your family. You know, you said you're third generation in your business. It sounds like up until the time your dad passed away, maybe you were aware that the company was struggling a little, but the enormity of it only really, you know, rested on you after his death. How did that make you feel? How were you able to shoulder that, you know? Just thinking about it, were you resentful? Did you ask God why this is happening to me? Or how did you, how did you all feel? It was a great surprise and it was a great shock because we were raised up, my dad and the second generation, even us, in a very um, well-off and entrepreneur uh, kind of family where we were always successful at work and we lived uh, luxuriously. And to have such a problem was something very strange. I mean, we never had uh, even worked with bank money. We usually um, had access, so we didn't. But something happened, and they were offered different kinds of loans and stuff. And then things happened in the region and in Romania, which we were working with. We were the agents of 39 different companies in Romania. Things changed politically in Romania, and things changed. And uh, I woke up one day, and this was the debt. With my dad passing away early with a heart attack and all this was what was going, I was not resentful. I was shocked, but I did not ask questions. I knew that one of the uh, worst thing to do was to ask at this time because my mind was already under attack mm. from the enemy. So I, uh, I just had to trust God that he is still sovereign and he is still able and he is still Jehovah Jireh, the provider. I had to take it one day at a time. Mm. It was tough. It weighed on me. I mean, it wasn't easy. There was stress. There was this, the fight of faith, uh, belief mixed with unbelief, faith. And, and then there is this uh, anxiety. Yeah. Uh, you needed wisdom. You needed mm -hmm. uh, guidance because there are so many. And we had to do the settlements with the banks. Uh, yeah. It sounds to, like you didn't even have a choice, as in you had no choice but to actually take up this position and, you know, face the debt? Well, I had a choice. Okay. But I chose to, uh, I knew that it was what I have to do. And this was like from the word and from, I knew that this was my response. I was responsible yeah. uh, for my family, my sisters and my mom. And uh, I had to help the rest of my uncles. I mean, this was a responsibility. Mm -hmm. And I could see it in the words, that in the word, this was true integrity and this was true faithfulness is to go in and to fix it and work with them and try yeah. and fix things. Absolutely. You know, even thinking about the repercussions of the debt, you know, we know that in your story, you shared that there was a likelihood that if you didn't pay off the debt, that your uncles, you yourself, you could have been, you know, imprisoned and things like that. But also you did consult experts and tell us about what they said about the debt and, you know, how to escape the repercussions of the debt. When we went to the experts, they said that with what we have as in resources, with the outputs we have from our factories, mm. and with the debt, he said, that, guys, you don't have any uh, way out. He said, I don't see how you can uh, handle it. And the guy said, from a professional point of view, you will not be able to pay. Yes, focus more on industry mm -hmm. and not on trade, because we had both, mm -hmm. but still... I don't see how you can do it. It's beyond fixing. Some other consultant said, uh, I don't see, but when you guys think, you have to think that it will take 
two or three generations if you succeed. Hmm. It will take years and years. This is not a 10, 20, 30, 40 years thing to finish. You will leave yeah. it to your children and your grandchildren if you succeed to at least maintain the status quo. Absolutely. And we're going to hear some more, you know, as we go along about how that negative report, God actually turned it around for you. But one of the things I want to just dive into, you know, real quick is one of the marks of a faith-driven entrepreneur is that you're called to create. But in this instance, really, it seems that you felt more called to ministry, you know, which is why you went to school for it and you you served there and all of that. Um, but this time around, you were thrust into business. You know, how was that adjustment for you? You know, in a sense, the business had been established before you got there. It's something you had to inherit. Did you feel like there was absolutely no room for creativity? Or how did you just feel adjusting to this new calling in your family? I went into a situation where everybody was very anxious and very worried and afraid. There was no room for change, for creativity, for anything. There was a lot of fear. And so not only you have to work with people you did not choose, but also you could not participate much or add a lot. There was a lot of time. There was a big chunk of time. You just would sit and observe and just pray until a little room for you to participate actively in, mm. in the cycle of work. That was painful. Yeah. Because here you were, you left what you have, mm-hmm. you went into something you did not choose, and you had to stay idle for some time mm-hmm. because it was not the time, nor there was the capacity with the people that were, were working to trust anyone or to trust anything to change. They didn't want change. Because they were yeah. afraid for change. Not only of change, of even it was a state of like, you know, it was a state of chaos. The report brought chaos and brought uncertainty. And yeah. you had to deal with just like, you know, in Joseph in Egypt, mm-hmm. there was a lot of things going around in your mind, and you just had to take it one day at a time. A lot of patience, Absolutely. perseverance in doing mm-hmm. very, very little stuff not knowing how the little you're doing can finally add up and bring salvation or deliverance or breakthrough. Yeah, thank you so much. I mean, for sharing this part of your story, the vulnerability there, the fact that you just had to trust God every step of the way. Even though it was a family business, I can imagine that assuming that role made you feel a little bit like an outsider and you just had to, you know, trust God in every step of the way. And I think right now it would be nice to just dive into how you were able to turn the business around. Now you already had this, should I say, prophecy that was going to take two generations, maybe even more, you know, to dig yourself out of it. Essentially, they were going to tell you, you're not going to be alive to see, you know, the redemption of this debt. But tell us what God did and tell us how you were able to turn the business around in spite of these overwhelming odds. Okay, I was just one of the team. It was a teamwork. I mean, not just me, but I will say the part from my perspective and what happened with me. First of all, there was this struggle of to believe that what you're doing is what you're called to do. Because being like in ministry, many times we have this mind of that ministry is holy. But then when it comes to the marketplace, it is of little lesser or less Mm -hmm. spiritual thing. And with not having the expertise and not having the teaching, I thought that it was a damn good. 
And it took a lot of time until I understood Genesis 14, 14, how Abraham had 318 born servants into his house that were trained for fighting. And it hit me what the Lord said that I have known Abraham and chosen him so that he may teach and command his children and the sons of his house. And it hit me that with Abraham, worship, the house, family, mm-hmm. and business, were all holy and were all one. Absolutely. It was all the same. And the factories, the workers, I mean, we have people. He had families living in. Here is 318 family living in with him. And they were not pagans, but his calling was that he would teach them and command them to know the Lord and his ways. Mm-hmm. And step by step, I started to see that, no, no, it's not like there is ministry and then there is family and then there is work. And with Abraham, I mean, the father of it all, he didn't have a ministry in the sense of a ministry, like a place where he go and he ministered to. His ministry was his work and was yeah. his family and was his herd and uh, his sheep and his boys and his servants. And this was the ministry. His children, Isaac, his prayer life. This was life. And so uh, being like a pastor in the sense of a pastor in the church or being a strategic development manager or a salesman in in the company, a single or married husband, father or a child or a son, that's all in the same sphere of the calling. This was a relief. Yeah, and I I will say, I mean, to all the listeners, when I started watching your video on YouTube, it was one of those videos I hadn't planned to watch, but I couldn't stop watching. So I watched till the end. (laughs) So I will urge people to check that out after this episode. You know, one of the things that struck me about your story is the um, importance of prayer. I mean, you talked about it earlier on when you wanted to ask your father to go into ministry and you prayed for years. How has prayer played a role in your business life? Many of us as sort of entrepreneurs, or we think about doing the right thing and being good stewards of the resources God has given us, working hard and being diligent. But like, how has prayer played a role in your business life? For me, prayer is the cornerstone. Hmm. Prayer changes us and prayer transforms our lives. For me, it's um, the life of Abraham was a life of prayer, communion, and a walk with God. Even in Genesis, you can see that Adam was always walking with God in the garden. All that prayer. Prayer is eating from the fruit of life, standing before the tree of life, and just dwelling there. And it's a spiritual place. I mean, we could be working, we could be um, showering, we could be even in a business meeting and your spirit, which is in communication with the spirit of the Lord and with his presence. And I think this is a mystery. The word speaks about it. It says, pray without ceasing. And we have a lot of activities going around. How can I pray without ceasing with all the activities? And so prayer is the cornerstone. Prayer uh, is the weapon. And uh, a life of prayer would bring the fruit of the spirit and it will bring success and it will bring okay. wisdom and it brings glory in whatever we do. Wow. That's incredible. So it turns out just in learning your story, some 
mean, for lack of a better word, miraculous things happen to you. I mean, you talk about taking over the business and there was this huge debt on the table. How did the company survive when the experts were like, there's just no way that like this will ever get paid? What what happened? Can you talk to us about that? What was going on in Egypt at the time? You know, just take us to that time and how, you know, the company was able to overcome this big debt burden. Well, at 2006, we had to sign an agreement with the bank in order to pay the amount of the money over uh, this amount of years with this kind of interest. And I remember my uncle calling me and saying, here's the agreement, you have to come tomorrow to office to sign. And as I was reading it, something was wrong. I mean, I could see that there were things that I was not convinced with, but then I was not that of an expert. So if they said it's okay, then my thought is it would be okay. But something did not feel right. And I believe this is the auction of Holy Spirit. And so I had to think about it and think about it. And I called my uncle and I said, I'm not going to sign this agreement. There is something wrong with the agreement. And he was, he was so angry. And we were raised up in a way that, I mean, you don't say no to your uncle or yeah. to elders. Yeah. It's very different here. I mean, uh, especially 20-something years ago. I mean, yeah. this for us was like something very big. And I had to, um, to struggle to bring myself and every uh, part of bravery in me and to say no. And he was shocked, and rightly so. And then he was very angry. And at the end, I said, I'm not coming tomorrow. I'm not coming. And they had to reschedule the meeting in order to convince me. But then my other uncle was in a, this is divine appointment. He was in the meeting and he got introduced to uh, some kind of expert. And he said, well, this is an expert. And he brought the expert. He called me, said, there's an expert. Let us sit and show him the things. And he decided. And when the expert saw the thing, he said, this is a death penalty to the business. Mm-hmm. And he showed us where were the problems. And my uncle said, whoa, the Lord saved us. Praise the Lord. And so from there, he worked on a different agreement. And for me, this was fundamental because this was the agreement that we stayed with for 20 years or for 18 years working on. And so if we signed this paper, the story would have been finished. Everything would have been destroyed. It was a death penalty. So that was the first thing. The unction of the Holy Spirit, standing, and then divine appointments. But over the years, there was a lot of things. I mean, there is this innovation where God would use, like my uncle, he would just get this idea and he will buy this machine. It's very cheap compared to what it can produce. And then ideas with engineers at our company to make some changes, which would increase the range of products in this line. And then somehow something would happen in the market and there would be great need for what we're doing. And then we start selling it. And this happened a lot. Ideas, lines, and then we would innovate in the lines and then the market would pick up and shifts would happen. So there was this innovation and there was this change in things around us supernaturally. This is the second thing. Third thing, the year 2010, the revolution, everything was closing. At that year, God spoke from uh, Genesis 26. Isaac, stay in this land. I will be with you. And Isaac sowed seed in the land and received at this year, the year of famine, a hundred times. I remember the meeting and we did not usually pray at the meetings. 
we are all Christian by birth, but not all were like prayer people. So we did not pray before the meetings usually, or like discuss the words. But I remember that meeting and after the revolution, I stood and I said, I have a, a word from the Bible and from the Lord. And, and I read this first. I said, I believe this would work. What's going to happen this year? And this year was the year of our most high revenue and most high profit ever in the company. Wow. Although nothing around us was like this. It was a year of great harvest. I mean, it was the turning point, the turning year. Yeah. I will add just one little thing that next year, the year after, they devaluated the yeah. currency. And our debt was in Egyptian pounds, which was equivalent to $20 million, but in Egyptian pounds. So when they yeah. devaluated, there was a decrease in our uh, debt. And several things with the banks was happening like this. We had an interest, and then they raised, signed, it was high, but then they raised crazily the interest in the bank. And so now our interest was very low. The banks would come talk to us and say, hey, mm -hmm. you have a very low interest. Please, can you re-sign, re-do things? And, and we said, no, we can't. This is a signed contract, and we will continue. So miracle after miracle after miracle, mm -hmm. it was amazing. Uh, divine appointments, the unction of the Holy Spirit, faith, perseverance, because sometimes, I mean, many months were just dark to persevere, to keep doing what you're doing without seeing anything. This is part of the story. Yeah, wow. I mean, truly, it's incredible just to see God's provision time after time. You know, I want to ask, how can other entrepreneurs seek the spirit more in their work? Because clearly it's not just about you doing the right things, making the right decisions. I mean, you had nothing to do with the, the currency being devalued. You had nothing to do with you know, interest rates going down. You know, there were just things that happened that were a testament to God's provision. And so how can other entrepreneurs who are listening really just seek the spirit more in their work? I believe through spending time with the words mm -hmm. and through being hungry to hear God's unction and to hear the voice of the Spirit in every single detail. I mean, the Holy Spirit speaks and the manifestation of the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of revelation and is something that Paul was asking for the believers. And so as we really hunger and thirst for God to be a partner in life, in every situation, and asking him to give us ears to hear what the Spirit has to say. Because God speaks. He spoke to Isaac. He said, mm -hmm. stay in this land. And this was not logic. He spoke to Abraham and said, get out of this land. To another land I will show you. He speaks with situation. It's not just our Christian or our word knowledge that would lead us. This is an important part, is to renew our mind, yes. Yeah. But the voice of the Spirit is, is something essential. The Holy Spirit is a partner. He speaks all the time, and He guides, and He, uh, in a certain ways, that's beyond our mind and beyond our, our, our natural ways. Mm -hmm. The Bible speaks about the mind of the Spirit, and the Spirit has a mind, and has a will, and has thoughts, and has ideas. Yeah. And as we seek Him, he will speak to our hearts as we seek times of worship in office and at work and in the car. They are very important. Yeah. Standing face to face with God to behold his glory in worship, it opens us up 
it opens our spirit to hear what the spirit has to say. Yeah, thank you so much for that, um, Shady. And, you know, I'm so encouraged by what you've shared. And if you're listening, whether you're an aspiring entrepreneur or a veteran or a serial entrepreneur or whatever, please, if there's anything you can take out of what Shady is sharing is that really the Lord will lead you. The Holy Spirit will lead you. Shady has spoken so much about prayer and worship and just listening to the voice of God. And it's not because Shady was a pastor that God speaks to him. You know, God will speak to you if you just seek his face and ask him for wisdom. He will speak to you concerning your business. You can have avoidable mistakes. You know, you can have favor in different parts of your business if you just rely on the Holy Spirit. Yes. Thank you so much. Shady, we're going to go into a, a fun round. You know, right now we have a lightning round. We're just going to ask you a few rapid fire questions. And we'll just like you to take maybe 30 seconds or so to answer each question. Just answer whatever pops into your head. This is a fun round. Okay. Um, yeah. So great. You're ready. I can tell. Okay. Yep. First question. <laughs> We've heard that you really like to vacation on the coast in Alexandria. Now, what's so special about that place to you? What's so special about the coast in Alexandria to me? It's a place that's full of architect and full of history. Like it was built by Alexander the Great, Alexandria. And so that I love it. I've been pastoring a church there. And so over the time, I fell in love with the place because I start to love the people going there every week. Super. They have beautiful food. Fish. All right. Second question. What advice would you give to those who unexpectedly become business leaders? Prayer, humility, study about business, and seek the Lord through the words and stay humble. Great advice. Great advice. Okay, third question. What's the one thing you miss the most about being a full-time pastor? The one thing I miss the most about being a full-time pastor is time. Having the time to spend more, to read and study and read more and more. Of the word or just? Of the word. Of the word and spiritual books, yeah. Okay. Um, next question. What has changed about doing business in Egypt since you started out in 2004? It's becoming much more professional. There is a lot of things that we, you need to learn, computers and about technology and mm. globalization. And so you have to be well-equipped through studying. It was a less professional, more local kind of work. It's opening up. It's becoming more professional. Mm. Globalization. Yeah, agreed. All right. And finally, what hope do you have for Egypt as you look ahead? What hope do I have for Egypt as I look ahead? Egypt becoming just like it's called. It's prophetic calling, like the time of Joseph, becoming a place of nourishment and food and a place uh, for people to come and be blessed. Just like little Jesus or baby Jesus and at the time of Jesus and at the time of Joseph, God bless Egypt to be a blessing. All right. Brilliant. Thank you so much. I can't wait to visit. I've never been to Egypt. Please. Uh, I, yeah. I would love to have you guys. <laughs> yeah, no, it's going to be fun. I've heard really good things. Well, this is sort of the last question. We like to ask all our guests on the podcast this question. We just like to get a sense for 
what God is teaching you right now or what you've found in God's word that has stuck to you recently. Can you just share that with us? I'm sure somebody listening will be blessed by it. Sure. Studying in First Chronicles, you found in First Chronicles 16 how David brought the ark in the tent. Not where there was no like chamber, special chamber, where was it hidden, and only the high priest would go in. Everyone would go and worship before the glory face to face. That's not an Old Testament revelation. That's a New Testament revelation. I mean, in the Old Testament, you touch the ark, you're dead. Yes. The ark had to be inside the most holy place. And only the high priest would go in once a year. And so at that time, it took a revelation for David to understand how it's he can and the people can behold the glory and the ark face to face. And so that was a revelation. And out of this revelation, the people were so blessed in worship. Well, in First Chronicles 14, you find that he had a lot of marriages, a lot of children, and you read about his life and his house, and it was chaos. <laughs> he did not have a revelation concerning Christ and the church. And one man for one woman. Although Isaac had that. And a lot of people in the Old Testament had it. And so he had chaos in that area. Mm -hmm. What's on my heart, what's God speaking to me is that as I seek God in every area and God reveals things, whatever areas I have revelation in, there would be a glory and there would be blessing. And whatever area... I just walk with the natural information of what's happening around me by nature or by what's happening in the normal culture around me, I will reap chaos. Mm. David was just uh, with his marriages, was doing what, what other kings were doing. It was nothing. But if he had this revelation, his family life and his house and his maybe his kingdom itself would have been much different. Every area, one revelation will not fix everything. One revelation about an area would bring light and glory to that area. We need revelation, we need manna every day in different areas. That's why we stay humble and that's why we stay thirsty because his light will bring light to us and will bring glory. Amen. 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 His light will bring light to us. I love that. Yeah. I love, love, love that. Because he can create light out of darkness. We, we can't. Um, thank you so much, Shady. It's been a pleasure to just get to know you even a little deeper, hear more about your story. We want to thank all our listeners for, you know, just staying with us and continuing to learn from these amazing entrepreneurs that God is using in the marketplace. I want to thank Chinny, my one and only co-host here. Thank you. Yeah, it's um, been great, Apulsa. Thanks so much. Thank awesome. you, Shani. Thank you, right. Shady. Thank you all. And uh, until next time, stay blessed. We are grateful for the opportunity to serve the community and see listeners tune in from over 100 countries. Entrepreneurship is often a lonely journey, but it doesn't have to be. The best way to stay connected is to join a foundation group with other faith-driven entrepreneurs like yourself. There's no cost, no catch, in person or online. You can meet an hour a week with your peers from your backyard across the continent or on the other side of the world. You can also stay connected by signing up for our monthly newsletter at Africa 
www.faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. All this is made possible with the special help of all our friends. Thanks to the volunteers leading entrepreneur groups and watch parties to spark this movement in your city and country. We are grateful for you and hope you'll continue to share this with friends.